Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Appreciate the offertory this morning. In the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I look full in His wonderful face. And that's what we are going to attempt to do today. And I want to encourage you uh, to look at the Lord today. And God's Word is going to encourage us to do the same thing as we seek to exalt Jesus Christ. Amen? Why are we here? To worship, to honor, to glorify the Lord. And we do that uh, by exalting and lifting up Christ. And the Word of God does that as well. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God who at sundry times, that means various times, and in divers manners, it means in different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, today with your word, that, Lord, to uh, be able to look on the Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme one. And, Father, I pray that you'd give us a vision of him again. And, Father, that we uh, might fall in love more with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you speak to us through your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we, we live in Alaska. I know that's a, a profound statement, right? Something you all didn't know. Uh, but we live in a place that is probably one of the most amazing places there is in the world as far as beauty goes. Everywhere you go, um, no matter how many times you've seen it, it is still, at least for me anyway, I never get tired of looking at it. There's always something new. There's always something amazing, something beautiful uh, as you go around the state of Alaska. I remember uh, coming from a place like North Dakota, living there all of my life, uh, being just amazed and in awe driving up through Canada, uh, moving to Alaska. Um, living in Alaska, you never get tired of those things. I remember just the feeling of being awestruck. And I remember the feeling of magnificent beauty uh, everywhere you look as we drove up through Canada through the Canadian Rockies. I think those, the Canadian Rockies are probably almost as equally beautiful uh, as places in Alaska. When we drove the Icefield Parkway uh, that follows the Great Divide and, and, and seeing these, you know, glacier-capped mountains and these turquoise blue lakes everywhere as you drive around it was just this feeling of oh look at that oh look at that oh you know and it's like whoa let's keep it on the road kind of a kind of a thing and if you've ever been through there you understand what i'm talking about you drive across alaska and you see some of the most spectacular scenery in all of the world and it's always beautiful and I remember thinking, in fact, I, was, I remember uh, being on the radio with Caleb 
uh, on a two uh, walkie-talkie radio, whatever, talking about uh, the the amazement of what we were looking at and, and talking about how how awesome God is. I remember all of those things, and I remember looking at those things and re- just rejoicing in the glorious Creator God that we call our Lord, that we call our Father, that we call Jesus Christ our Savior, and feeling that very small feeling, you know, when you look at something so big and so beautiful, so massive, um, and feeling very small and inadequate in it all. And I said all of that to, to say, if, if, if gazing on beautiful scenery can cause us to rejoice in the Lord and uh, our glorious Creator, then gazing on the Lord Jesus Christ Himself should bring even more humility into our life and should cause us to worship Him even more. Romans chapter 1 in verse 20 tells us that, that creation reveals the invisible attributes of God, that that. Uh, His eternal power and Godhead is revealed in the things which are made. And if creation reveals that about God in Romans 1.20, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, it tells us that Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, is the brightness or the radiance of God's own glory and is the exact image of His person. And, and, and what we're going to look at this morning is Jesus Christ, certainly, but Him as the preeminent one, Him as the, as the most important one. And I can't, I can't my verbal description of, of the beauty of mountains or the beauty of Alaska uh, is woefully inadequate. Just my words alone uh, don't really describe for you. It's not until you see it yourself that you really grasp it and understand it for what it is and appreciate it. And, and, and likewise, my feeble attempts today uh, to describe to you the glory of Jesus Christ is going to be very deficient. The Word of God tells us what He is like, but what I'm saying to you is you need to experience it for yourself. You need to ask God to open up your own eyes and your own understanding and spend time personally with the Lord Jesus Christ, even looking at the Word of God over and over again and asking God to reveal more of the beauty of His Son in your own life. you got to experience it for yourself. Amen. A lot of times, many times, people have the wrong view of who Jesus Christ really is. Certainly amongst false religions out there, Jesus Christ certainly was no ordinary man. If you're mistaken about who Jesus Christ is, you'll never bow before Him as Lord and Savior. You know what? That's why false religion is so dangerous. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they're very destructive in their religion. They mislead and deceive people about the person of Jesus Christ. But may it never be said that God's people are confused or mistaken or don't see Jesus Christ for who He really is. The author of Hebrews, in these verses that we read this morning, is showing that Jesus Christ is God's supreme and final revelation to us 
of himself. All of the Old Testament prophets pointed ahead to Jesus Christ. The New Testament reveals to us that, that, that God's eternal purpose is to sum up all things in the person of Jesus Christ. Just hold your place here and look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. The Bible says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse 10 tells us that, that in the fullness of time that God would gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ. He is the sum of all things. When we get back to Hebrews in our text, what we're going to look at is six brief things, that statements that the Word of God makes concerning Jesus Christ that are just profoundly packed phrases that reveal to us the supremacy of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you this morning is let's look and turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's just talk about Him. Amen? And ask the Lord to help you and help me this morning to see Him afresh, see Him anew. There are six things that are in these verses, six phrases that reveal to us the threefold office of Jesus Christ as prophet, revealing his God's final word and revelation of himself as priest, the one who made purification for our sins and as king who is enthroned in heaven at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I want to look at these this morning. And here's the thought and the thesis behind the message. Since God's son, Jesus Christ, is supreme over all, then we must, we must, we must bow before Him as Sovereign Lord. Here's the thought as we go through the verses. If He is supreme over all, then we must bow before Him as Lord of all and submit ourself and our will to Him. And let's look at God's Word here this morning. The first thing that I want you to look at is in verse 2. The Bible says, again, in verse 1, that God has spoken in times past through the prophets, but in these last days, God is speaking to us through His Son, by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very next phrase is, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. And so we're looking at reasons why Jesus Christ is supreme. And verse 2 tells us that Jesus is supreme as the heir of all things. That phrase, heir of all things, is actually a title of dignity. It's a title of dignity that shows that Christ has a supreme place uh, in all, all of this universe, that Jesus Christ is the supreme. He has the supreme place on high in all of the universe. Some people ascribe this verse to Psalm 2. Go back with me to Psalm 2 and know what the Word of God says here. In Psalm 2 and verse 7, Psalm 2 and verse 7, I will declare the decree 
The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. When you look at verse 3 in our text, the second part of verse 3 says that he is the express image of God's person, that he he upholds all things by the word of his power. His exaltation. And then the the last part of that verse says that that he is uh, on the right hand of the majesty on high. His exaltation to the highest place in heaven after his work on earth was done. You know what? That didn't mark some new dignity for Jesus Christ like he had attained this position now. That didn't mark some new dignity for him. It only marked his re-entry into his rightful place. The Bible tells us, remember in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He was equal with God. He set aside some of his his glory to come to this earth to give his life for the sin of men. Jesus Christ is just re-entering his rightful place as supreme. He is the heir of all things. Now, let me make this application. If Jesus Christ has this place of dignity, if He has the supreme place in all the universe, if He is the heir of all things, then it only follows that you and I are completely destitute of any good thing unless He is the one who supplies it to us. Because He's the heir of all things. I want you to see what Paul proclaims uh, to the churches In Romans and also in Galatians. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Romans 8, 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we have suffered with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. If we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. One of the things that Paul was concerned about concerning the church churches of Galatia, go to Galatians chapter 4, was that they didn't fully understand this thought that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and all that is His is actually ours. And someday we are going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ throughout eternity. Galatians 4 and verse 4, the Bible says here, But when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then... When ye knew not God, ye did 
ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. And we'll just stop right there. Paul says, if you're a son of God, then the Spirit of God is in your heart crying, Abba, Father. And you need to understand this. You are no more a servant, but now you're a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Paul's concern for the Galatian believers was that they didn't really see this. They didn't get the awesomeness of this. In verse 8, he says, or in verse 9, he says, But how, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He's like, if you don't understand this, if you've known God and you know that you're a child of God, why in the world would you go back to the weak and beggarly things that are so inferior? The point is, for you and for me, outside of Jesus Christ, there is no value in this life. He's the heir of all things. He is supreme. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Why in the world would we, in our Christian life, go to something that is so inferior in the weak and beggarly things? Why would we invest so much of life in something that is actually of no value? If we somehow think that life's ambitions are going to bring contentment or fulfillment, we're sorely mistaken. If we somehow think that somebody else, a person, is going to bring fulfillment and joy in my life, we're sorely mistaken. We'll always be disappointed with anything that is temporal or earthly. Only, only, only finding the will of the Lord and pursuing that in our life is the thing that is going to bring fulfillment. So I'm asking this question. What is it that controls you? What is it that drives you? What is it that, per, that you pursue in your life, friend? What is it that's right here in the core of you? Is it Christ? Is it His glory? Is it pursuing after Him and His will? Is that what it is? Because that's the only place we're really going to find fulfillment and contentment. What is it that controls you? What do you pursue after? Because if it's not coming from Christ, if He's not the one supplying it, then it's going to be woefully short. He's the heir of all things. So if it's not coming from Him, we're going to be miserable and destitute unless He is supplying of His good treasure. Amen? You see that? Everything is all consumed in Christ. He's the heir of all things. Now go back to our text in Hebrews because I want you to see another statement concerning Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 2 again, the Bible says that He's spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world. Jesus Christ is supreme not only because He's the heir of all things and He holds that title of dignity, but also He's supreme because He's the Creator. 
of all things. When the Bible uses the word world here, in verse 2, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. It literally means the ages in the Greek text. And here it refers to the whole of the created universe. Listen, it refers to the whole created universe of space and time. And it means that Jesus Christ is Lord over time and He's Lord over everything that He created. He is Lord over all of it because He created it. John 1 in verse 3 tells us exactly who Jesus Christ is. And you'll recall that the Gospel of John is written to show and to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. And notice what John says concerning Jesus In John chapter 1, in verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Romans chapter 11, in verse 36, I'll read it to you quickly here, Romans 11, 36. The Bible says, For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Of Him are all things. He created the world. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now think of what that means, friend. That Jesus Christ is Lord over the whole created universe of space and time. It means that the expanse of the created universe which is staggering, by the way. Our minds cannot even fathom it and wrap around it. It means that Jesus Christ is the one who controls and is over all of the universe. Have you ever reflected on the size of the universe? We've done this a couple of different times, and it wasn't even that long ago that I made mention of some things. But when you just stop and try to to wrap your head around some of the realities of the size of the universe, it ought to make you feel really small. It ought to humble you. It ought to make you feel really inadequate. Listen, if just that alone doesn't impress you on the majesty of God, then you really haven't thought about it and considered it. I mean, little, little, just little, little bits of information that just blow my mind we just talked about this not long ago, but, but traveling at the speed of light. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. It would take a beam of light one and a half seconds to hit the moon. Imagine traveling that fast, Right? All of you who are late for church pretty regularly, you wouldn't have that problem anymore, would you? (laughs) Now get this. It would take you four years and four months traveling at the speed of light to get to the nearest star. Four years and four months, every single second, 186,000 miles, every single second, for four years and four months, and you'd reach the nearest star. But here's something that should blow your mind. Every time I think of it, it does. Just to travel across our own galaxy, the Milky Way, 
It would take you 100,000 years to travel the span of just the Milky Way galaxy. Try to wrap your mind around it. You can't. You can't. And then there are billions and billions of stars and billions of galaxies in all of this universe. Just to explore outside of our own galaxy, they're, they're finding more and more all the time as technology increases. And what I'm simply saying is this. Where did all of that come from? We can't even fathom it. We can't even wrap our minds around it. If you don't believe me, go look it up. Go look it up yourself. Who conceived that? Who made that? The order of it all. It's, it, it didn't happen by accident. It's not possible. How could we even possibly, how could scientists even possibly study it if there wasn't some order to it? The Bible tells us that the maker of all of that is Jesus Christ and he holds primacy over it all. It also means, if that's true, it also means that he had to exist before it was all created. Amen? John chapter 1 tells us that. John 1 and verse 1, we were just over there. We don't need to look at all of these passages of Scripture, but John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. John 8 and verse 58, Jesus talking to those religious Jews, He says, before Abraham was, I am the eternal existent one. And Jesus identified himself to the Jews as Jehovah God, the eternal existent one. And it affirms, listen, these affirmations show that Jesus Christ is eternal God, one with the Father before time began. There's another reason why he is supreme. Thirdly, go back to Hebrews 1, and I want you to see in verse 3, Another reason why Jesus Christ is supreme. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Jesus Christ is supreme as the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. The ascription of Jesus as the brightness of His glory it pictures the rays of the sun displaying the brilliance of the sun. Jesus, of course, reflects the Father's glory, but also possesses an inherent glory of His own. We saw, we can look in the Gospels and we can find on the Mount of Transfiguration that His glory was revealed. You can look in the book of Revelation. John saw the glory of Jesus Christ. One man said this, who does not see that the brightness cannot be separated from the light, but that it is by nature proper to it and coexistent with it and is not produced after it? Where there is light, there is radiance, and where there is radiance, there is also light. And thus we cannot have light without radiance nor radiance without light, because both the light is in the radiance and the radiance in the light. That is who Jesus Christ is with God and His glory. 
The reason it is important to affirm this is this, friend. A false doctrine of the person of Christ will inevitably, inevitably result in a false doctrine of the work of Christ and consequently will undermine the entire whole system of the gospel. You don't see who Jesus Christ is. It's going to lead to a false understanding of the gospel and all of it is now void. His work on the cross of Christ becomes so much more brilliant. It becomes so much more meaningful when we understand who Jesus is, that He's God, and God Himself became a sacrifice for sin. This is why John states in 1 John chapter 4, I'll read it to you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God, even the spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What John is saying is, if one does not believe that Jesus Christ is very God himself, then he cannot possibly be a saved individual. That's why it's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. And I wish I had the time to actually break this down a little further for you, but I don't. What I'm simply saying to you is, the work of Christ becomes so much more meaningful when we understand that Jesus is very God Himself. Look at our text again in Hebrews chapter 1. And look at the second part of verse 3. Here's another reason why Jesus is supreme. The Bible says that He is the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. He is supreme... Because He is the sustainer of all things, that is why He is supreme. And the Bible says that He is the sustainer of all things by the word of His power. The word uphold here means to support, it means to maintain, it means to carry. It's used here in the present tense, which implies a continuous action meaning that everything in the universe is being sustained right now by Jesus Christ continually. He maintains the delicate balance that is necessary for life to exist by quite literally holding things together. That's what Colossians 1 says. Colossians 1 and verse 17 says this. Colossians 1, 17 and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. That word consist means to hold together. So currently, presently, 
Jesus Christ is maintaining the, the delicate balance that is necessary for life to exist by holding things together. What does that mean? It means that he keeps all of the heavenly bodies and the entities in space in motion. It means he's the power behind every consistency that there is in this universe. Can you imagine what would happen if Jesus Christ relinquished his sustaining power over the laws of nature and the laws of the universe? If even, listen, if even one of the physical laws varied, we would not exist in this world, on this earth. Just the fact that the, the, fact that the earth and the sun are exactly the distance that they are apart, and it stays there, is mind-boggling. The distance between the sun and the earth is important, mainly because of the sun's heat. If we were too close, everything would burn up. If we were, that, we would be like, we would be like Mercury, and there would be no life that could exist. If we were too far away, like, like Pluto, for example, we would freeze. Some people call this the Goldilocks zone in science, meaning that it's not too hot and it's not too cold. It's just right. That's what astronomers call it. And the reason they call it that is because this is the only zone exist. Jesus Christ holds it all together by the word of his power. How does our world maintain such a fantastically delicate balance? Well, it's through Jesus Christ who sustains it, who monitors it, who holds it together. The universe is not chaos. Amen? It's a cosmos. It's the only reason that there can even be science to study it in the first place. The universe is ordered. It is reliable instead of erratic and unpredictable. And it's only because Jesus Christ holds it together. Listen, what I'm saying to you and the reason I'm saying this to you is that we know that. We know that as Christians. And yet why? Why then do we not bow before Him and love Him and adore Him like we should? Why not? The reason is, is because He is not as supreme in our heart and our mind as He ought to be. So often, I'm supreme. I'm supreme. Hebrews chapter 1 goes a little bit further and really gets into, for you and for me, why Jesus Christ ought to be and is so supreme. Not only does He hold everything together by the word of His power, but notice this in verse 3, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Another reason why Jesus is supreme is He is the one who has made purification for our sins. There's a, a juxtaposition of Christ holding all things by the word of His power. And this very next phrase, when He had 
made or purge uh, our sins. Listen, that's a stunning statement. It's a stunning statement that Almighty God, listen, He could simply speak a word. He could simply let go. He could simply relinquish control. And listen, sinners would be disintegrated. But instead, Jesus left the glory of heaven. He took upon Him the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Why? To purge us from our sins. Charles Wesley said this. He said, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love. Notice that it says here, When he had by himself purged our sins. The tense given here indicates that Jesus accomplished this once and for all. It's done once and for all. By himself. No help from you. No help from me. No help from anyone else. By himself. He had purged our sins once and for all, obtaining eternal redemption for us. It's of great comfort, friend. It's of great comfort to me to know that my purification is secure in Jesus Christ, that He paid for it with His blood, and I'm guaranteed that He's going to get what He paid for. Amen? When this life is over, it's never going to fail. It's once and for all. But then the Bible says that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? Christ sitting signifies the completion of the work of redemption. In the Old Testament, the priest would always stand in the Holy of Holies when making atonement for the sin of the people. But Jesus offered Himself for our sins once for all, and He took His seat on high. It's finished. His sitting on the right hand of the majesty on high, it's a reverent term for God. It also signifies the highest place of honor. And the language used is to convey convey to us that there is no higher designation that is possible. He is supreme. Sitting at the right hand of God pictures Jesus Christ as ruler, as sovereign. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying this. That my descriptions of who He is are very inadequate. But I hope that you see that the Word of God and its description of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's not just interesting theology, what these things mean. But it applies practically to every single one of us. And here's the truth. If Jesus Christ is what the Word of God is saying that He is, if He is really that, then we all must bow before Him in worship and obey Him. Listen, obey Him in every area of life because He is supreme. He is King. You can't 
get away from that without consequences, friend. You can't get away from that without a consequence. To brazenly disobey the sovereign, almighty creator and Lord of the universe. Listen, listen, it's utterly arrogant and it's stupid. Because you're not going to get away with it. What we need to remember is that you and I don't occupy a position of prominence. We don't. Because he is preeminent. And Jesus Christ is the supreme over all, and so we must live and obey him completely. The sooner that we recognize that, the sooner we submit to that, the sooner that we're going to be able to truly love him and glorify him. And the truth of the matter is that whether a person chooses to now, to yield to him now or not, Someday, every knee is going to bow before him. Better now than later. Being forced to, amen? Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Better now than being forced to later. So it applies this way. This morning, if you're here and you're not saved, you need to recognize who Jesus is. He's calling you to repentance. He's calling to you to faith in His Son. You can't get away from that without consequence. If you're here this morning and you're saved, is He really supreme in your life? What is it that drives you? What is it that's the core of, what is the thing that you pursue after day after day? What is the thing that consumes your thoughts? What is the thing that consumes the drive of your life? What are you working for? Amen? He is supreme. He is the preeminent one. And we must bow before Him. We must live in obedience to Him. Is His will for your life the thing that drives you the most? He's Lord. He's supreme. Amen? Let's treat Him that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that You'd Use your word. Father, I can't put words together. I can't describe things in a way that really helps people understand who Christ is. But Lord, you can. And people need to experience that for themselves. And I'm simply asking, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And Lord, we ask for your grace to help us exalt Christ, but Lord, I pray that you drive it home to our heart and our life, that we today take some time to think and meditate on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that we would look full into his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth, they grow strangely dim. Less and less important in the light of His glory and His grace. Lord, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.